Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. One M by One M, as you know, is the first and only global virtual accelerator for startups. And our mission is to help a million entrepreneurs reach a million dollars and beyond in annual revenue. And in support of the mission, we do a whole lot of different things on, in the media, our, in our accelerator, and these podcast uh, episodes are part of that. I hope you've been enjoying it for, uh, for a few years. And uh, we are going to talk today with Susan Stone from Sierra Wasatch Capital. Welcome, Susan, to the show. Thank you. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Well, let's get acquainted. Tell us about you. Tell us about uh, the funds. What's uh, investing focus? Let's uh, get to know one another. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll start by telling you that I I am a venture capitalist, but I I come to venture capital from a different path than uh, than many people in the industry do, and I think I have a little bit of a different approach. So I'll try to Hello. make sure. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Um, so I started my career as an investment banker. I was an investment banker in New York and in Los Angeles, and I spent a lot of time advising companies, particularly advising entrepreneurs who were selling their businesses. And that's when I really got the bug to work with entrepreneurs because I loved helping people realize the value of their life's work. And for mm -hmm. many of these folks, I mean, gosh, I, this was decades of work for these people. Um, and so it was really exciting to be able to make that kind of an impact. Um, but I didn't want to be an investment banker for the rest of my life. And so I, I took a big career detour in 2008, 2009, I left banking altogether with no idea what I was going to do because I'm a big proponent of change and taking risks when one can. And I moved to Alaska, and I was a professional ski patroller during that time, um, which is when I met my husband. So best decision I ever made was to be a professional <laughs> ski patroller. Um, but I, as much as I loved going to work in ski boots, um, which was really fun, and some days I still wish I could do that. It's snowing outside where I am, so uh, I'm, I'm where are you? ski boots right now. Um, I'm up in, in Lake Tahoe in Truckee, so I'm not too far from you, but just, just up and over the pass. It's probably raining. But are you normally there. based uh, in the Bay Area? You know, I'm normally based up here in Truckee, uh, and I oh, commute. Okay down either to Los Angeles or to the Bay Area. I really, my professional center of gravity is, is more in Los Angeles um, than it is in the Bay, but I find okay. myself now kind of splitting my time. Um, and look, when I decided to leave ski patrolling, I was very lucky to get hooked up with a family office uh, based in Los Angeles who was doing all their own venture capital investing. And it was a family office run by an entrepreneur who had made, he was self-made and had made all his own money. Uh, and he really took me under his wing and mentored me and taught me to invest like an operator. And that is something that I've really carried with me. I've invested their capital for four or five years. And then he, that family supported me and seeded my fund when I decided in 2016 to launch my own fund and invest against my own investment thesis. So mm -hmm. I really bring that kind of family office, patient capital, um, sympathetic with the entrepreneur, with the operator. Uh, I bring that um, not, not as fund-oriented um, investment focus uh, as, as many others do. I, I kind of bring the family office focus to uh, a fund strategy. And so okay. I launched my fund. 
Sorry, go ahead. Did I cut you off? No, I was just going to ask you about the fund. How big is the fund and, and uh, what is that investment thesis that you raise this fund around? So the fund is really small. We, we're on fund one right now. Um, I have a partner. His name is Chad Gordon. He's based in Los Angeles. And he and I raised the first fund is only a $6 million fund. It's a proof mm -hmm. of concept fund, and we, it's fully deployed right now, and I'll explain to you what we're doing next, but uh, the first fund is fully deployed, and it is invested in media technology. Um, okay. Chad and I both were investment bankers together, uh, focused on the media industry, and we really believe that the media industry is quite far behind the, the rest of the world as far as their adoption of technology, and while a lot of us hear these doom and gloom prognostications about how the media industry is dying. I, it's, I don't think it is at all. I, you know, it's, it's evolving um, and it's an industry that is a little bit slow to evolve and isn't always building its own technology. So for us, we saw a real opportunity to invest in the types of companies that are going to help modernize media that our hope is will be acquired by some of these media companies as they start to grow and evolve and as our companies start to mature. So that was the thesis so, and we invested in media tech. So I'd like to actually, very interesting and, and actually quite different from a lot of the um, perspectives that we see because, um, you know, there's, there are huge question marks around the media industry's evolution at this point. I'm actually quite involved in a bunch of things. We have partnerships with, uh, we have at least one partnership with a large media company. Anyway, so uh, all that aside, I'd like to understand how many investments have you made in this sector with this investment thesis? And if you could walk us through what each of those ventures are. And this, uh, the reason I'm doing that, uh, normally I would ask for just maybe one or two examples to get a feeling for the thinking. But, but I think in the case of the media industry, it would be interesting to see where you see possibilities of sustainable businesses emerging. And, uh, and I think I'm very interested in, in working through that with you and bringing that to our audience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in this case, um, the, the list is not long because part of why we raised a small fund as a proof of concept is because coming from family offices, my partner comes from a family office too, we we really like to get involved with our companies. And so that has meant bigger checks into fewer companies. So with mm -hmm. a lot of- How many companies have you invested in? So there are five companies in the portfolio only. For the five. Fund. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk five about those companies. five. So let's talk about those five. So um, the, the first investment that we made was in a company called Iris TV that is an AI machine learning company that uh, ingests video content and then helps the, or it actually ingests the metadata. We don't actually have to invest all the video content. That would be a ton and ton of data. Um, but we invest, ingest metadata around video and we surface personalized recommendations for publishers of video online and on mobile. So what that means is it increases engagement with video, particularly for these publishers who have owned and operated sites where they would really love to have their video viewed, but instead they are publishing it on Facebook or YouTube. Um, and they're not actually getting to have that direct connection with their consumer. Um, mm -hmm. And when I first invested in Iris, it was right before Chad had joined me, so I made this investment by myself. 
Um, but when I first invested in Iris, I was excited about the personalization and the fact that it increased ad inventory for some of these publishers of video because they could turn a single visit to maybe their homepage or an article with embedded video that would have a single video view. If we figured out that if we could serve that viewer contextual videos that made sense to them and that they really wanted to see, they would watch more. And that created more ad inventory and supported that publisher. That was the, the original thesis um, and why I liked that company so much. Um, that remains true, but what it got me thinking about and, and now is much more powerful for that company is it creates a feedback loop between that publisher of video and their consumer that they just didn't have before. And, and that's an overarching theme for me within the space is that we have a lot of creators and even publishers of, and I, I use publisher broadly, but publishers and distributors of content that have no idea who's reading or watching or listening to their content. And mm -hmm. that's a little bit broken. Um, you know, we have some like Netflix that have all the data in the world about what you're watching and right. they use it and they use it really well. But if you talk to some of these older media companies, they have no idea who goes to see their film, who watches their television show, who reads their article. Um, and so um, Iris was the first investment that we made that, that helps media companies start to solve that problem. So come, um, can you walk me through a, a bit of a use case? So for example, I mean, I'm just going to use our own uh, uh, video content as proxy. We have a YouTube channel that is the 1M1M Roundtable channel that's full of you know, entrepreneurship-related content, right? So if I were to use your technology to distribute this content, and, uh, you know, we, we have all of this on YouTube. So if I were to distribute this content through your technology, what, what are you bringing to me? What is this company bringing to me? So, you know, you, I'm not sure that you would necessarily want to use this, um, use this, technology because you're using YouTube. If you're already distributing on YouTube, you get a little bit of this already because YouTube has a personalization engine. And That's right. When yeah, somebody watches your video, right, they'll, they'll give you the yeah. thumbnails of you should watch next. Um, mm -hmm. th this, a, a good example is one of the early customers um, was the LA Times. And mm -hmm. the LA Times had a lot of the news video um, and some evergreen content. Some of it was, you know, brand new news video and some of it was evergreen content. And they would embed an article either or a video in an article or have a video on their homepage and someone would come to view it and mm -hmm. they would watch that single video and then probably bounce, they would leave. Mm -hmm. But what, what this, with this content or with this technology embedded in the online video player, that viewer, while they're watching the, the initial video that they came from, they'll get served a little tag that says, up next. Yeah, your customer in this case is LA Times, and LA Times has both their own distribution and their own content and uh, own videos, and, and you're basically uh, mining that portfolio of video content and, and serving up more that would appeal to a particular customer, particular viewer. Correct. Exactly. Okay. And what we found that's so exciting about it is many of these publishers have old video that's just, they think it's old and cold and it's in the catalog and no one is ever going to want to watch this short form video again. And it turns mm -hmm. out that with Iris technology, if we surface that video again, 
for example, if somebody is watching a video about Justin Bieber's birthday and we serve them, it might be a, very, a year-old interview with Justin Bieber. We know right. they're fans. They'll probably yeah. watch it. And that's a video right. that no one would have watched because it was sitting mm-hmm. old in the catalog. And we can yep. bubble that back up again. So there's some really neat things that this technology allows publishers to do. Yeah, okay. So let's do another example of your uh, portfolio. Sure. Another example is one actually I was thinking of for you because as I went through uh, all of the, the work that you're doing at A Million by A Million, I thought, you guys need a Mighty Network. Um, we invested in a company called Mighty Networks that's based in Palo Alto that is run by one of my favorite entrepreneurs in the world, Gina Bianchini. Who, I know her, um, and I know Mighty you know Network. Gina. So you know, yeah. Mighty Network. So you yeah. need a Mighty Network. Um, that's but you can explain. Story. I think for the audience, you can explain Mighty Network. I think they would find it interesting. I know what it is. Yes. Go ahead. Yes, I will. Absolutely. Mighty Network is, creates a way for niche brands and niche entrepreneurs to democratize their own entrepreneurship and have a, an experience in which they're, it's software for bringing your people together. And what we found is that around niche brands, everybody wants to have a conversation. Everybody wants to be able to interact with each other. And so it allows someone like yourself to interact with one to many, with your followers, your fans, your customers, but also to let them interact with each other and have their own conversations around the content that you're generating. So Mighty Networks is a software platform uh, to allow any niche brand to take advantage of network effects. Uh, we offer uh, a bunch of different tiers. You can, you can try it for free if you're skeptical or if you just want to check it out. Uh, you can try Mighty Networks for free, just a, a feature light version, and see if it works for you. And then we have uh, a, a bunch of different feature sets that you can add, including online courses. You can charge your... Um, charge for premium content for, from some of your users. Um, and what really attracted me to that business is something that I've noticed is, is embedded in the 1 million by 1 million ethos, which is the democratization of entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. I, I think as a, as a society, we see entrepreneurship as Silicon Valley venture capital, and you know everyone needs to be Mark Zuckerberg to be an entrepreneur. And right, and I'm, I'm working on solving that problem big time. <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. And and so so are we at Mighty Network, and so is Gina. But I think Mighty Networks is not just for entrepreneurs. Democratizing entrepreneurship per se. I mean, I've I've talked to Gina about this. Uh, it's also about um, you know educators who wants to run their own courses and they want conversations around certain topics that they're experts in and so on and so forth. It's has many use cases, um, Absolutely. You know, media yeah. personalities who want to do that. So there's lots of, lots of use cases for Mighty Networks. Great. Many use cases um, for Mighty Networks. You don't have to use it to make money. If you're a niche brand and you want to bring people together around your niche brand, Mighty Networks yeah. is it's great. Brand marketing too, actually, personal brand as well as as any kind of brand. Good brand marketing absolutely. too. Yep, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, It's for all those. And by the way, we think of all those people as entrepreneurs. All of those people yeah. to fit fit into our definition of entrepreneurs. Yeah. So um, what else? You have three more companies in your uh, investment so, portfolio. 
Mighty Networks, Iris. We'll talk about Long Guru because that one, it's going to make you laugh because it doesn't fit into the thesis at all. It was an early investment. Uh, it's a company mm -hmm. called Long Guru. Um, and these guys do on-demand lawn care. So you can oh. think of it as a, an Uber or Lyft for lawn care. Uh, and they're, they're based in Michigan. And the, the reason we originally invested in them is because we were so taken by the way that they were using local media to promote their businesses. They, they, it's run by two entrepreneurs who are based in southern Michigan who they grew up put, putting themselves through college mowing lawns and built their own lawn mowing business and then built their own software to route their trucks. And they figured out that the software that they built was so good at optimizing the, the routing for these lawn care trucks that that was a business in itself. And they took it actually to 500 startups and that's where we met them is through 500 startups. Um, and we, they really understand the power of the local market. And so that is something that may not sound directly tied to media, but the difference between a, a national strategy and a local strategy is, is very near and dear to us for people who spend a lot of time in media, particularly I have a background in banking newspapers. And so this, the dichotomy between the national newspaper and the local newspapers is really apparent to me. And I just absolutely love that this business um, has gone deep, deep, deep into the markets that they've launched in and really used the local media in those markets to bring customers to bring providers onto their platform and to really serve that community in a in a really successful way rather than going national not having any yeah. depth in the marketplace and not having a real connection to the community so yeah you actually bring up a good point that some of these local marketplace kinds of plays or even you know marketplace plays actually very closely resemble media. Uh, we did a story, I know the lawn, lawn space a bit because we did a story called uh, uh, Building a Two-Sided Marketplace Lawn Starter. The CEO is Ryan Farley. I don't, you must know oh, the company sure. because it's in there. Yeah. So, um, so I know the space because Ryan pitched me and, and told, um, told the story. Anyway, so, um, okay, lawn. And then, yeah, so that's lawn. So then we've got vertical mass. Um, Vertical Mask, which is a data company around uh, celebrities, really starting out in music, but also in sports and in um, film and entertainment. Uh, they have very, very premium audience data that's all very clean opt-in data that uh, is GDPR compliant, of course. Um, they have really tight audience data on um, on a lot of celebrities. Um, it's over, I think the list is now over 400 celebrities worldwide that work with the company, um, all exclusive data providers to the company and vertical mass helps them collect and understand their own audience data and then mm -hmm. helps them also monetize it either by aggregating it or selling it um, or licensing it, I should say, licensing it um, directly. For example, um, the company has virtually every female pop star that you would that you could think of on the platform. And so there are a lot of brands who want to work with pop stars and who want to target the same kind of audience who is likely to go to a Beyonce show, for example. And so we're able to provide the data about that audience so that those folks can be targeted by brands who want to reach them. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. Okay, and there's one more? And there's one more. The last one is Canvas, last and definitely not least. Um, mm -hmm. Canvas is based in New York, and Canvas is uh, the very first company that measures emotion analytically. And I'm, I'm very proud of the founder, Jared Feldman, for really opening up that market for emotional measurement. Um, he started doing it for television by listening in real time to the Nielsen Twitter feed and being able to use natural language processing to bucket the specific emotions that people were feeling about moments in time while watching a television show. And so mm -hmm. that was the first product was for TV to be able to tell producers and distributors your audience thought that that moment was funny or your audience mm -hmm. hates that character or your audience got angry during that moment. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was where it started. And they've expanded that out to do not, not just uh, Twitter listening, but pretty much every social media platform you can imagine they listen on um, and they listen to they, to YouTube comments. So we're no longer doing only real-time TV. Um, and they've just launched a really exciting product in the research market that uses that same AI stack to be able to um, take the long-form written responses to surveys that are usually scanned by a human who's trying to come up with some conclusion about what people have written in the survey, uh, the mm -hmm. Canvas research software can now process that in a matter of minutes and be able to tell the researcher exactly what their audience is thinking. And mm. so that's been a really exciting product and is in use outside of entertainment. It's been in use by a lot of research organizations now. So I think you'll see there's this, you know, if we set longer or a little bit aside, um, the theme is about, in our investment strategy, has been about the direct connection with the consumer. You know, whether you're a niche brand or a personality for Mighty Networks, it's about having that conversation with your user and your, your gang. Um, mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's video, it's understanding who's watching your video and why are they watching and how do you get them to watch more and how do you delight mm -hmm. your customer every time. And it's really, it's about touching the customer and creating that direct connection. So that's what's exciting to us, and that's where we see, Chad and I see the future of video. Of, of media, Susan, are you, um, have you ever come across this article that I wrote in 2007? Uh, see if this rings a bell. It's a definition of Web 3.0, and it's a little formula. Web 3.0 equals 4C plus P plus VS. Does this ring a bell? I haven't seen it, but I would... I would love to, but I haven't. You should see this. <laughs> For somebody who's interested in media tech, you should see this article. It was, and it, it'll feel very prescient to you because of a lot of the ways you're thinking. But it's, it's actually something I wrote way back when, and it's still, I think, completely pertinent, completely relevant, and, and is worth uh, looking at. Oh, so no, anyway. I can't wait to read it. You have your crystal ball out. <laughs> So uh, geography, you said you've invested in Los Angeles, you've invested in New York. Is, are those the two places where you invest mostly, or are there other uh, places as well? You know, we're pretty open um, within the U.S. I would say our, um, you know, because we have that hands-on strategy, we really like to invest in places where we can, we can be there. And so, you said Michigan, Chad, too, right? Uh, the long one is Michigan, in Michigan. too. 
Ceylon was yeah. in Michigan, and I have a. I have you a don't have any problem with investing that. in these other geographies. No way. No, not at all. And I think that's where some of the exciting companies come out of. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got to say, I have a secret weapon in the Midwest because we have a venture partner um, whose name's Todd Sullivan, who's based in the Midwest, who manages the Long Guru Investment for us, and who's a he's an entrepreneur operator himself. So he's he's our operating partner, and he covers the Midwest for us. So. I don't have to go to Michigan <laughs> frequently because Todd is there. Um, okay. But yeah, we really do. We, we, we are, I would say we're location agnostic, but with Chad based in Los Angeles and, and that's where I moved from um, and my proximity to the Bay, that just tends to be where we naturally gravitate. Um, but we're, you know, we're happy to invest in, in companies Other all over the U S. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Fair enough. And we'd look internationally, but again, it's, it's, it's just about bandwidth and, and being able to get there and, and really spend quality time with the entrepreneurs. Yeah. Okay. Um, you are not chasing unicorns. Is that a fair conclusion based on what you said? That is definitely a fair conclusion. We are not chasing unicorns. We are so your your uh, investment thesis is primarily around doing capital-efficient media deals that are going to get acquired at a reasonable valuation. That's exactly right. You said it better than I would have, I think. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, Good. And, I... Yeah, and that, that there are returns there. I mean, that's 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 the message for investors. Is there are real returns there, and and that's where that's where we're going to grow real businesses. Um, you know, we're not we're not interested in throwing money at negative unit economics, um, and we're not interested in grow at all costs and as quickly as you can and break things. And, you know, that, that may mean that we leave a little bit of the unicorn returns on the table, but we think it de-risks the portfolio just a little bit. And, and we really are passionate about entrepreneurs who are driving for profitability and who are building real sustainable businesses. Well, um, another a piece that I recently wrote uh, that has been trending on LinkedIn for the last five, six days. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Bootstrapping to Exit. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I have to admit I've been off LinkedIn probably for a week. So I'm behind. Well, take a look at it. It will speak to you. And, and, and I, uh, I think I'll, I'll comment a bit on what you just said about de-risking the portfolio and so forth. So here's an, another way to look at it. Uh, with, with what you are doing and with, I, with what I think a lot more of the micro VC funds should be thinking about is that there are many more, you know, smaller ideas than these unicorn ideas that have billion dollar, five billion, ten billion dollar uh, TAM. There are a lot of smaller TAM opportunities that can be good, solid, profitable businesses that um, strategic acquirers are looking to acquire. So, Disregarding all that and the whole industry chasing unicorns is a very dysfunctional way to, to, for this industry to evolve. I agree. I agree completely. Um, and it was, there was a nice New York Times article about that, I think, uh, maybe over the Well, weekend, that, um, that article has, has a lot of naivety in it. Asking VCs to get oh, lost no. is not the way for, in, for entrepreneurs <laughs> to play this game. I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree with that, but for the, I think I, I actually, I like that they made the point in, in a little bit of a controversial way because it gets people thinking about it and talking yeah. about it. And, yeah, and media does sensationalize. Yes. 
Okay. Well, Susan, that was a wonderful conversation. I'm I'm quite sure that we're going to do stuff together in in the uh, you know months and years to come. So let's keep in touch and uh, and uh, and if you're up in the Bay Area, come uh, come have a coffee with me sometime. I would love to do. Thank you so right. much for having me. This is terrific. You're very welcome. Audience, thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed the session, and we will uh, continue these discussions in the upcoming sessions of the One Million by One Million podcast. Meanwhile, if you're looking for strategic input on your uh, startup businesses, come to one of the One M by One M public roundtables. They're free. They're working sessions where we take your businesses and strategize. Um, and a completely safe working session. You don't need to be nervous. You don't need to be self-conscious. Just come and we'll work through your issues. See you soon. A bientôt, as they say in French. Bye-bye.